Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. We're joined on the start line by a former Palo Alto CSI tech that pulled one of the most interesting cases on September 22nd, 1998. A case that has haunted her for nearly 25 years of her life. ID's discovery has her back to talk about the Tetris murders. We welcome retired Lieutenant Downtown Sandra Brown. Okay. You were, yep, that's what people, that's what people call me. Um, thank you for having me on, Sean. This is exciting. Uh, yes, I've been known as Downtown Sandra Brown right after Downtown Julie Brown, remember way back then. Um, so here, here, yeah, way, way before me. But um, yeah, I, I used to work for the Palo Alto Police Department out here in California and I've uh, done my 30 years in law enforcement and I've been retired for a while. Um, so this is interesting to be able to talk about this. Sandra, let's go beyond the mic. This case has an alleged murder-suicide, potential Russian mob involvement, a conspiracy, and the FBI. And I haven't even talked about half the weird stuff about this case. Why does this case still haunt you to this very day? Well, n- number one, um, Sean, when you're a retired law enforcement officer and you go to a party and then people say, so what do you do? And when you say, well, I'm retired cops, they say, oh, what was that one case that, you know, that just stuck with you? And and I'll be honest with you, every case that has a death and any homicides and all that stuff sticks with you. You remember everything. I remember everything about this case from 1998. And so um, this one, we didn't know initially that this, this man was one of the, uh, one of the uh, developers of the Tetris game. We all played the Tetris game. It was pretty awesome back then. And so this one was strange because um, it, it just didn't fit. Well, if we're talking Tetris, the pieces would not fit right for some of us during the investigation. And even though we, we, we were suspicious of it and the community was suspicious of it and there were some conspiracies back then and the FBI got involved, there were three or four strange things for me personally that I was like, wait a minute. First of all, I didn't think this man killed himself. The evidence was weird. The positioning of the weapon in his hand was weird. The blood spatter was weird. You know, and then the FBI got involved in the case was weird. You know, and I was like, why, why, why is all this happening? But, you know, just little old me didn't have that kind of pull back then. Uh, after the autopsies, the medical examiners deemed it a double homicide and a suicide, um, that the man self-inflicted his wounds and killed himself. And so, you know, the case is closed, right? It's closed. But it still was in the back of my mind, all these things that were strange. And I'm pretty happy that um, the uh, the production company and the Eddie Channel wanted to look at this case because this three-part series that's coming out on Monday, I'm going to be, not me, myself, and I, but we're going to be able to prove to you and your audience that this was a strange case back in 1998. I can't give you any spoilers, but I will give you this one. Um, Two years ago when I sat down um, with the production company and looked at our case, there were some things that I had never seen before, and one of them was the FBI, awesome organization, love working with them, but they had a subpoena in our file that I had never seen before. And it was issued the day after we, the day after our crime. That's odd to me that some other organization would have a subpoena, right? Exactly. Especially so quick. So quick. Justice delayed is justice denied. What frustrates you more? The way the case was handled back in 1998 or the discovery of information could have helped you find the killers back then? I will tell you the case was handled the way we worked it. We worked very hard on that case. Um, what got me is when I, when we spoke to the community members, the community members who were also, this family came from Russia. They were 
Jewish. They settled in a Jewish community. When this hit the papers, a lot of the Jewish community members came to us and said, he didn't kill his family. This is a Russian mob hit, right? And so that conspiracy theory from 1998. And someone even came and said, remember the Soviet flag? The Soviet Union flag had a hammer and a sickle. Well, this family, the wife and the son were killed with a hammer and, and, a, and a knife. And they'll say, see, that's a, that's a message from the Russian mob. And so when we, when I come forward 20 years later and I see this subpoena in our report, what blew me out of my chair in August of 2020 was that that subpoena was issued by the FBI, the FBI's San Francisco unit on Russian racketeering. I didn't know that in 1998. And when I remembered what the community said and when I read that subpoena, right there in there, Sean, that told me, and I said it on tape, okay, I, we were right. This man didn't kill himself. There's more to the story that we didn't know in 1998. And if the Russian racketeering unit for the FBI was involved, okay, that's the frustrating part that we didn't know that, that, that gets me. And that's why I, I continue to talk about this. And so that, that's the spoiler I'm going to give you. The Russian racketeering unit was in on this case, and it was still deemed a, a murder-suicide. So on Monday night, when you watch this three-part series, I'm not giving you any more spoilers. You're going to see it. You're going to come down this path with us, and you're going to see why we were so amazed 24 years later, and why this docuseries, why it's such a good thing to come out now. As this case is revealed to all, do you feel that Vladimir, his wife, and son will get the justice they deserve? So, it's funny that you say that, because um, I remember being in that house back in 1998, and I, I know it's going to sound weird to people, but I think sometimes we have a sixth sense. I started talking to this, this boy. I, I remember collecting evidence, I stopped, and I said, Peter, we're going to figure this out. And, and I know you're confused. I remember saying that. I know you're confused about what just happened last night, but we're, we're going to figure it out. So now we come forward 24 years later. Yes, to answer your question, I think there's going to be peace um, in this, this family, in this spirit, or however you want to, however you want to look at it. Um, I think there's going to be some peace also for the community. Um, and I think, and also for us. You know, those that were the first responding officers who saw the bodies of the investigators, you know, for the CSI team, hopefully this will bring us peace, and that's what we're looking towards. Now, there are key figures that didn't want to talk to ID Discovery or anyone for this series. A little bit suspicious mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Um, n- no, I'm not going to say anything to that because there's going to be some information. <laughs> nope, you're not going to get it out of me. Nope. <laughs> Let's just say... I, uh, Let's just say some community members trust the police, and I was able to talk to a couple of people who knew that I worked the case, and they were comfortable talking with me um, that would not talk to the media. So let's just say that, and let's look forward to uh, Monday night. It's time for one big question with Sandra Brown from ID Discoveries, The Tetris Murders. Sandra, what was the root cause of you becoming a police officer? I mean, you know... (laughs) Were you bullied when you were growing up, or who was bullied that you wanted to protect? Okay, so yes, I was bullied coming up, okay, when I was in the 6th, 7th, 8th grade, but that that wasn't the call. I, I worked in um, Silicon Valley. I got laid off in 1982, and I had to find a new job. And so I saw the poster to join law enforcement, and I called my mom. This is so strange. I called my mom. I said, Mom, would it be okay if I became a—I'm 22 years old. Why am I having permission, right? I called my mom and I said, would it be okay if I became a police officer? And she said, yes. She said, yeah, you could do that. That's not a problem. Um, and so thank 
because I think if my mom said no, I probably wouldn't have done it. Some people have the calling when they're kids. I wanted to be a police officer my whole life. But I'm going to tell you this right now. A lot of law enforcement officers, whether they wanted to do it when they were kids or they just woke up this morning and decided to put in, it is a, it is a community service. And a lot of officers, over 800,000 cops in this country, we took an oath to stand between evil and the people that we serve. Not every single one of us are doing a great job at that. We know that. There's some bad in every profession. But I will tell you, when I took that oath, I took it serious. And we do. We do serve the community. Law enforcement today is a public service. And we want to stand between evil and the people that we serve. I love being a cop. And you know what? It doesn't go away when you retire. It is still in your system. You want to help people. And so that's one of the reasons why I did it. I love helping people. Here here where I live in Phoenix, Arizona, my community, I'm called the mayor because I am always out there talking to neighbors and getting involved and helping folks. And um, it is it is who you are. When you get that calling, it is who you are, and it is who you are until the day that you die. So a lot of awesome law enforcement officers who took that oath. That's why we do it, to help. She was bullied growing up, protected others, became a calling, and she wants you to see the Tetris murders on ID Discovery. We thank retired Lieutenant Downtown Sandra Brown for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you, Sean. And that, my friends, is a Beyond the Mic Shortcut. <laughs>